Titus chapter 2, we finished last time, we got a little, <clears throat> we talked a little bit about the false teachers and how they were rebellious. They were rebellious against God, they were rebellious against God's word, they were, they liked to talk, but there really wasn't much that they were saying. You know people like that? Talk a lot, but they don't say anything. They were deceivers, and uh, we looked at some of the reasons really why they, why they do it. Uh, one, they were in it for the money. They wanted to make profit up for it. Uh, the other thing we saw in Acts chapter 20 is they want to draw away disciples after themselves. So they, there's the money you know, pr- uh, you know, side of it, and there's the pride side of it where they like people to follow me. I want people to follow me kind of thing. And uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, he said, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. That's what the proper motive should be like. Hey, this is, you know, this is before God. This is, I need to be right on track with what God's saying. Uh, you know, I have a message from God. It's, you know, it's not from me. It's not about me. It's not what I need, what I want. It's, it's what God wants, what God is doing with people. Now, we also spend some time, we're not going to uh, spend more time on this, though. Last time we did talk about, we need to learn about giving. We need to teach about giving. It's part of uh, following Jesus, to be faithful, to be consistent. And uh, someone said to me today, you know, uh, that I have this thing growing on my face. I'm getting short on uh, money for razors. So we're going to take an offering now so that I can get that razor that I need. So will you start it off, Rick? $25. Well, that's a nice razor. Whoa. So, but, you know, it's not about being under compulsion, Paul said. It's not about pressure. So he goes on to say that the false teachers, they needed to be rebuked. They needed to be rebuked. My mouth is so dry today. I don't know why. They needed to be rebuked so they could get straightened out, to be redeemed. That's always the purpose. Not just to rebuke somebody for the sake of being rebuked, but rather that they would grow. They would learn. Right? It says there that they were claiming to know God. There, chapter 1, verse 16 They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. One one man said this, by their conduct, they denied the great truths of the faith. He said, who can imagine the damage to the Christian testimony by those who professed great sanctity but lived a lie? It's damaging when you profess one thing and you do another. It's damaging. It's hurtful to the testimony of Jesus. So that's a, that's a you know, word for us, too, for each one of us, every one of us. Our actions need to be in line with what we believe, with what we profess. It kind of gets into that today. So we're going to look in chapter 2 today. We're going to get back to this idea of sound doctrine. And the word sound means healthy. It means whole, the whole package. It doesn't mean just the little parts you like. That's one of the reasons we teach through books at a time and chapters, verse by verse, so that we can get it all. We're not going to skip over the parts we don't like. You know what I'm saying? There's parts I don't like to talk about, but 
we have to go there. there. And there are my favorite things I love to talk about. And, you know, and that's what happens in a lot of places. They just talk about the stuff they like, the stuff they want to talk about, and they never talk about the other stuff. So sound doctrine in the understanding of just the word itself means whole, the whole package, the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. That's what happens when you go to court, right? So let's read verse 1 and 2. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. He starts off here in the words you, uh, someone pointed out, it's very emphatic. He says, like, but as for you, as compared to the false teachers, you, you, you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine, whole doctrine, healthy doctrine. Not just a whole bunch of stories of things that you did and things that happened. Though, you know, sometimes illustrations are okay about, hey, this happened in my life, and it, but it, it tied in with, with what God's Word says and what God's doing in my life. But if, but if the person, and if I got up here and just told you a whole bunch of stories, and some I make up and pretend like they're true, you might be entertained, right? You could laugh, you could have a few good laughs, but, but is it going to feed your spirit? Is it going to help you on your path? So the idea is this, you must teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. You must stick to the scripture. You must go to what God is saying. So I want you to turn back with me quickly to uh, just a couple pages, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. <coughs> well, we're, we're coming up again, Dan. 2 Timothy three sixteen. he says, All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching. This word in some of your translations says doctrine. It's the same word. Doctrine equals teaching. Teaching equals doctrine. Okay. So when we say teaching, we're talking about this word that's used for doctrine. It's the same thing. So the word of God, he says, is useful for doctrine, for teaching. But it doesn't just stop there, right? It says for rebuking, for correcting. And training in righteousness, that's in how we live, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the man of God would be thoroughly equipped, he'd be equipped to do what's right, every good work, every action, every good action, you see. As, as we continue in this, uh, in this passage, we'll see that it's not just head knowledge, that when you hear the word teaching, sound doctrine, when you hear that, sometimes when you hear the, the word doctrine, that's what you think. You know, it's just this idea of systematic theology, right? Or these different kinds of categories where they have looked at different subjects and they've, you know, they've put them all together. And those things are all very good. But it's not just that. And as we even look at this next passage and, and through the rest of this chapter, he begins to get down to real practical stuff. You see, there's, there's not a disconnect between teaching and doctrine and our lives and how we're supposed to live. They got to go together. That's as I said earlier, uh, you know, the guys that were saying one thing but living another, they were damaging to the testimony of Jesus. 
They weren't drawing anybody to Jesus. The, the word is the hypocrisy, right? Like the Pharisees were. I, I, I found this quote, which I really liked. He says, we see from the instructions which follow how much sound doctrine is understood as practical teaching for Christian living. Practical teaching for Christian living. I think it's, it's got to get down to where we live, where the rubber meets the road, right? Or, or it's just doctrines, just head stuff. It's got to get down to where our feet hit the road. One teacher said this. He said, teaching isn't about information. Teaching is about life. Teaching is about life. So before we even go on, I want to I ask you, you know, the Bible, we're talking about, we teach every week in all the different meetings that we have. Is it, is it affecting how you live? Is it affecting how I live, how I think, how I go about my daily life? It really needs to. That's the point that, that I think he's making here. Some of you have heard of Andy Stanley. Any of you heard of Andy Stanley? <clears throat> Andy Stanley is... Charles Stanley's son, right? You know Charles Stanley, right? Well, he's his son, and, and he's, got a, he's got a church down south somewhere, Georgia somewhere. But he, he, talked about, he talked about teaching, and he's very good at explaining things about uh, how things uh, work and how you should do things and, and uh, giving you ideas. But he talked about three possibilities about teaching, Okay. Are you with me? Okay. Three possibilities. This is number one. Number one is teach the Bible to people. That's number one. And what does he mean by that? He's talking about teaching the content of the Bible, teaching the information of the Bible. Now, that's good. That's important. That's, we need to do that. Teach the Bible to, to you, to people. The second thing, stay with me. The second thing, teach people the Bible. And what, what he's talking about there is meaning you take into account the people and you try to reach them where they are. You make application, you, make, you try to help them understand. You don't, you're not just teaching the information of the Bible, hoping that they pick it up, but, but you're relating to the people as people and where they are. Okay? That's good too, right? Number three, though, listen to what he says, number three. Teach people how to live a life that reflects the values, principles, and truths of the Bible. He says the goal is change. The goal is change. Let me read that one more time because there's you know, slight differences between all these. Teach people how to live a life that reflects the values, principles, and truths of of the Bible, the goal is change. You understand? Are you with me? You understand what he's trying to say here? We teach the Bible so that people can be changed, their lives be transformed through the Word of God. What we just read in 2 Timothy 3.16, you know, that, that, it, that it affects us, it's good for teaching, but it also is good for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that it would affect the way we live. The way our lives are lived in this earth and in these days. Now, all three of these, I believe, are important. All three of them are valid. But if we never get to number three, 
we, we, you know, we haven't completed the journey. If we never get to the place where it affects our lives, where, where it changes how I live and how I think, we haven't got to, the, to where the rubber meets the road, as I said earlier. You say, well, uh, you know, I like to just come and listen and, uh, you know, it's fun and, you know, I feel comfortable here and, and it's okay and everything. But I'm not real keen about it applying to my life and, and changing me. I'm not, I don't really want to go that far. I don't want to become like the Jesus freak person. Well, all I can say to that is we're going to miss out if that's our attitude. Because God has a much, much bigger, a much, much deeper plan than that. He wants this word. He wants this teaching to get inside of us and like change us from the inside out. Not from the outside in, but from the inside out where it gets in you. That's why I'm always saying you got to get into the word. You know, I go through trials. Yes, I do. Some of you think he never goes through any trials. Oh, really? I go through trials and you know what? I'm so thankful for the Bible. I'm so thankful for what God is there for me, like the Psalms I'm reading through right now, 2 Corinthians. I am so incredibly thankful for what God's Word has to say. It gets me through each and every day, each and every moment, these words. It's got to get in you. It's got to get in me and change us. It's good for all of us. Now, back to our passage here in Titus chapter 2, he begins to break it down into different groups, okay? We're only going to look at the first group today. Don't worry. We're not going to try to get through everything today. But let me ask you this question first. What, What generation are you? Any of you know? What generation are you? Right. You know, it's all broken down. We all break it down there. Uh, I found this interesting. I never, never had actually looked this up and to see all the different generations, but they say there's actually six, okay? So the first one is what they call the GI generation from uh, if you were born between 1901 and 1926, which would make you 91 to 116. Is anybody here in that group? Yeah, he's not here, though. He's sort of here. He was here. The GI generation. Anybody know what the next one's called? If you, if you get real quiet, you can hear it. Listen. <laughs> I got you on that one. Those are, those are people who were born between 19... 27 and 1945, right? 72 to 90. Anybody here? We got one? No one is willing to admit it. See, that's the problem here. You're not willing to admit it. You got to get... Oh, that's my problem. I'm sorry. Sometimes the preacher hammers people about the problems that he has himself. Just, just so you know that. It's a danger. It's a temptation. What's the next one? You all know the next one because a lot of you are in that one, right? The boomers, 1946, 1964, 
from 53 to 71, and, and how many are in that category? Like half of the people here. Half of the people. What's next? X. 1965 to 1976, 41 to 52. How many Gen X here? Like a quarter, about a quarter. How about the next one? This is easy. What's next? Why? These are what's, what they call the millennials, uh, 22 to 40. How many are here in, the, in Gen Y? Millennials. <laughs> Some of you are lying. That's a big category now because they figure that this group has like the most uh, money to spend and so a lot of the art marketing is aimed at that age group because they're like the ones that are going to start spending a lot of money. What is breaking out over here? What is going on? Do I need to call the ushers in here? This is getting out of control. And then the last one, of course, Z, also known as the Centennials, age, uh, up to age 21. They also call them the iGen. Yeah, iGen, duh. So how many are in the uh, Gen Z? Oh, look at that. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about that. It shows me that, that our church, and this does excite me, that our church is a mix of all ages. And that we're kind of moving forward and, and that we're not, we're not just all those, uh, you know, boomers and the silent generation because we're all just getting old. Because the truth is, a lot of churches, that's, what's hap that, that's what happens. They kind of age along with the pastor and then the, the church kind of like shrivels down and dies, you know. I really believe, and I say this, and I want to say it over and over again, that we need to reach the next generation and that, that the church needs to be uh, going on beyond me. And my goal and my, my vision, my uh, purpose is really to turn this church over to younger people so that it will continue on. And I'm not leaving tomorrow, don't worry. And, and for me, my, my thought is, and this I may be wrong because God may have a completely different uh, plan, but my thought is to be a more gradual kind of transition and that, I, that it, maybe I could still stick around. Maybe you could let me stick around and do, I, you know, clean the uh, bathrooms or something, you know. But because but, I like this place. But... But to think that it all wraps up around me and it's got to be me and it's got, you know, that I have to keep it all together, you know, that's not realistic. You know, uh, because of what we're going to talk about here in verse 2, we, we all go through these different stages. We're, we're all going to reach it. Should God keep us here on this earth? And should we, you know, by health make it, uh, you know, to some of these different stages? We're going to get older. It's going to happen, Right? And as you age, I was talking to someone yesterday, he said, you know, getting old stinks, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it's difficult because you can't always do what you used to do. I can't do what I used to do when I was 35 or even 45 
or even 55, <laughs> or even six, no, I'm not 65 yet. So here in Titus now, we already read it in verse 2, we see that Paul starts with the older men. He says to teach the older men. And we're going to look at each one of these, and you can say, well, uh, okay, I can just tune out now because I'm not one of the older men. Well, which group are you in there? You know, he, he, he just says older men, older women, younger women, younger men, and, and he kind of breaks it up that way. But the truth of the matter is, is that we're all going to get older should we stay. Should we, you know, should, as I said, our health holds out, we're going to get older. It's going to happen. So maybe it would be good if you're younger now not to just tune out, but to listen and say, well, that's going to be me someday. Now, for the rest of you that are already older, you need to, like, wake up and say, that's me now, right? Say, well, you know, you kid yourself, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm still young. I'm like 80, and I'm still young. You know, I, I think we need to accept where we are in life. That's, that's difficult to do, though. Believe me, I've, I've been kind of working through that in my own life and, and, and kind of trying to figure out what does that mean and what is it that you want me to do. So I decided I'm just going to be a hipster. Some of you have no idea what that means. The truth is I have no idea what it means either. But I think it's a cool term, so I'm just going to try to be one. And so I'm going to get, I'm going to get these really, really tight jeans, really tight. Like, I don't know how you get them on. I think they have stretch material built into them. Pull these things on. I might have to get some hair to it. Because, oh, oh, the other thing you can do, yeah, you can just shave the top and just grow your beard really long. That's kind of hip now, too, right? Just get the long beard, right? Hipsters, man. That's where it's at. We, we should all turn into hipsters. It just doesn't work, though, does it? For, for, for me to get up here and start acting like some kind of, you know, that's what he tells these people, these older men. Hey, you need to be who you are. And, you know, worthy respect, temperate, self-control, sound in faith and love and in endurance. He says you need to be what you are. And sometimes, again, that's not always an easy awakening for us. We have to admit it. Notice he says you, you must teach. And then he says teach the older men. He, you know, if we are in these categories, we need to understand that we need to be taught. In other words, we need to be teachable. I need to be teachable. I need to be able to accept what God's Word is saying. Not what some person is saying, but what God's Word is saying. I need to be teachable. That applies to all of us. And many of these things apply to all of us, of course. I understand that. But are you really teachable? And especially if you're one of the older men, are you really teachable? Are you really willing to take that correction and rebuke sometimes and, and training? Are you really willing to learn? Because what happens, we think, you know what, uh, you know, I've got all the experience now, and, I, you know, I really, I've learned it all already. You know, I'm 70, so I've learned it all. 
I got it down. And then we look at the younger people and say, you know, I can teach you everything. You know, you've got to listen to me. But <coughs> do we still have room to grow? Do we still need to change in different areas? I think we do. I think one of the problems is we get to a certain place and we just want to coast, right? We just want to coast. You know, I'm kind of retired from learning. I'm retired from growing. I'm retired from any change. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. That's how we shrivel up and die. I have to use this example of Bill Kinnaman because, you know, he was 20-some-odd years older than me. I don't know exactly how many. But one of the things that I always noticed was he received the Word of God. He was teachable by the Word. And he always encouraged me. And he would, he would make a point to come and see me after. And, and some of you don't have the advantage of knowing Bill, but, but some of you do. Uh, but he would always come and say, you know, that was a, that was a good emphasis on such and such in that message, in that teaching. So what it told me was that he was teachable and he was willing to learn. Though this guy, you know, he, he knew like 10 times more than I did or more than that. And he had, you know, degrees and he had the PhD and all that and, and he, he understood things that I, I, I didn't even understand. But he was teachable because it was God's word. He was teachable. I'll never forget that. Someone said this, uh, older men should set an example of a well-balanced Christian life. It's something about the example, isn't it? Of course, the, the underlying foundation in all of this is that men, he's speaking to men here who have surrendered to Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've got to have that foundation. You don't just... You know, you're not a believer, but you're going to try to live better. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking to people who are Christians, who are born again by the Spirit of God, who love Jesus, who have surrendered to him, and, and you know, are, are being taught by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. That's true for all of us as well. So having that salvation and the Spirit of God affecting their lives, let's just look briefly at these things here uh, because I know you're all thinking about donuts. There's like so much dessert back there today and like I can't eat any of it. See, I'm preaching because it's a problem for me. Uh, these different facets in, in uh, verse 2. Teach the older men. The first thing he says is to be temperate. And, and, and kind of the whole package is kind of what you, when you think about an older saint. And I don't have trouble using the word saint because that's what the Bible says about believers, that we are saints. You know, that, that whole thing has been twisted around. You know, a saint is somebody who's done, you know, X, X, and X and uh, miracles, and then they die, and then they become a saint and all that. That's not what the Bible teaches at all, period. A saint is someone who's been set apart by Jesus, who believes in Jesus. So he says, 
teach the older men, and the first thing he says is to be temperate. And this idea, and some of your versions have slightly different wording, but it but all kind of means uh, uh, the same thing, to be sober, to be vigilant, to be exercising sound judgment, to be temperate, to be someone who has got it together. Now, does that mean that we're going to be perfect? No. But we, we're taught. We're taught. He says, teach the older men to be tempered, to be sober, to exercise sound judgment. There's something about this when I read this. There's something about what should happen as we get older. We're not just crazy 20-year-olds, right? Trying to do what a 20-year-old does, it's like, hey, you know, that's the fun stuff. And I know I'd like to do all the fun stuff that the younger people can do, but I, but I can't. And it looks stupid if I do, right? And it hurts. Physically. And it hurts, hurts mentally, too, when you fall on your face. The second thing he says there is to be worthy of respect. That's, that's kind of self-explanatory. You know, that, that you know, your life is worthy of respect. It's dignified. It's serious. It's honorable, though someone added this, not gloomy. But you know what, you know what uh, the, the saying is, respect your elders, right? But here he's saying to, to, to be worthy of that respect. Your life should be something that people should respect, not just because you're older. There are a lot of older people who, you know, their lives are not worthy of respect, right? The next thing he says is to be self-controlled, right? Again, that's uh, pretty self-explanatory. It's a fruit of the Spirit to be self-controlled, to, to have control of yourself. He uses this, I, I have to say, though, for, for I think... Uh, most of the other categories we're going to look at that we all need to be self-controlled. We all need to learn how to control ourselves in a world that's out of control. Next, he says there to be sound in faith, right? And again, to be, uh, to be healthy in faith, to be whole in faith. It's this idea of faith, and, and faith is simply trust in God. If there's something for the saint, for the, for the older believer, that there's something about them that they have a faith in God that has grown in time, that has matured in time. Really, there's no way for that to happen except through time and experience, right? Where our faith is tested, our faith is tried, but our faith... As it, as it matures, as it becomes seasoned. That's important. So if you're in this category, in this older group, you know, uh, is, is my faith something that people can say, wow, he, he, there's a trust in God there. That, that he doesn't go around, you know, just saying words, but you can sense there is a trust that's there that has matured. David, I quoted this verse last Week David uh, said this in Psalm 37. He said, I was young and now I am old, 
He said, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. In other words, he said, you know, I've learned, I've seen, and, and, I, and I, I trust that God is going to take care of me, that he's going to take care of all those that follow him. I trust. He had this faith in God because he'd, he'd grown and he matured in his faith. I was young, but now I'm old. But I can see that. I have this faith. I have this trust. The second thing about being sound in, he says there, to be sound in love, to be healthy in love. This agape love, which is other-centered love. Now, the truth of the matter is, and, and you all know this because you know people, or do you know people? It's like if you tell me, you know, your friend told you something, I said, you have friends? This is what I'm saying is that there, what sometimes happens as we get older, we get more self-centered. We get actually bitter and angry. You know that happens? That can happen. It's something we need to watch out for and be careful of. But rather that we would blossom into love coming out of us. We'd love people more. Now, can I work that up? Can you work that up? Can you make that happen? No. It's a, again, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit as we surrender to God. And as God changes us, as, as this comes out, he says to teach the older men to be sound in faith, to be sound in love. It's something we learn as we yield to God and to his spirit. And the last one, I think, oops, the last one, to be sound in endurance, to be sound in patience, perseverance, to be, to be someone who continues on. And, and, and I think that is also something that we learn as we grow, as, as we go on, right? Why? How? Because you just went through a lot of stuff. You just went through a lot of trials, and, and, and life is like that. It has a lot of stuff that you got to go through. It's just life, right? And if anybody tells you it's going to be an easy, wonderful, glorious ride, healthy, wealthy, and happy every single day of your life, I don't know. I haven't seen it in 40 years. doesn't mean that we don't have those healthy, wealthy, and happy times, but to say that every day is going to be like that, I can't promise you that. Maybe you better go to the church that's promising you that and see if that's true or not. I don't know. All I know is that God, God wants to continually work on us and he uses those valleys as well as the mountaintops to, to bring about that perseverance, that endurance. I got a quote for you from Warren Wiersbe. Of course, you know he's one of my favorite commentators. He says this, seriousness, this is for the older men, Seriousness of life and purpose are important in the Christian life, especially to older saints who cannot afford to waste time, for their time is short. Are we serious about these things? So, you older men, me, I consider myself in that category, though I might want to try to pretend differently. Do any of these things hit home for you? 
Is there anything there that kind of strikes you? Or have you already, have I already got it all down? Man, I'm already arrived. Paul the Apostle said, you know, I have not arrived. I haven't gotten there. I got to keep pressing forward. What is God trying to say to each one of us? I think, I think despite that, and in addition to that, I want to say this, oops, that we still have a part to play. But we still have a lot to learn. Those two things kind of go together. We still have a part to play. You know, I'm not going to, you know, retire to the rocking chair. I still have things I need to do. I still have things that God wants me to accomplish in as an older man. And, and part of it is helping the younger men, right? Helping those that are coming up. But I still have a lot to learn. I'm still, if I think that I've gotten there, if you think you've gotten there, there, there there's a problem with that. We're never going to learn. But you think about this in the Bible, there are... Are there older men that you see God using in the Bible? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Abraham was old. Abraham was like 100 years old when he had his son that God promised and that God used. Zechariah, the, fa the father of John the Baptist, uh, he was told that he was going to you know, have a son too. And it, it says in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah asked the angel... How can I be sure of this? He said, I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. How can I do anything? What am I going to be able to you know, Like, you're insane, you know, he's saying. But God did it. And it says later, you know, nothing's impossible with God. I have to tell you, though, that Zechariah, God kind of said, okay, Really? And he wasn't able to speak until after the baby was born. John the Baptist was born. He, wasn't, he, he was mute. He couldn't speak until the baby was born. So, really? God says, really? <laughs> I'm an old man. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. You think back to Abraham and his wife, and when they were told that, that something was going to happen, what'd they do? They laughed. And their child's name was? Isaac, which means laughter. Now, figure that one out. But all of this, I have to say, gives me hope. It gives me hope that God still has plans. God still has purposes. But it also challenges me because there's still a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. And we need to keep that attitude. So, you older men, let's stick together, okay? These younger guys, they think they know it all. <laughs> well, maybe they do. But they're just teenagers. <laughs> teenagers always know it all, right? Sorry, boys, but... Let me read that quote from Andy Stanley one more time. The, the goal is to live a life that reflects the values, the principles, and the truths of the Bible. Change. Next week, the older women. You, and, and I don't want to see you older women not showing up here next week because it's your turn. That is not fair. Okay, let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we do pray that it would get into our hearts, get into our minds, would transform us, change us, that we'd be more like Jesus. As we look, as we look into the word, we'd be transformed from glory to glory, uh, glory to glory, as your word says. But Lord, I do confess that we are stubborn, we are proud. We're self-centered, selfish, and that makes it difficult. So I pray, Lord, you'd break through all those barriers in our own hearts and lives. And we, we confess them to you and pray that you'd get in and do something. You'd work in my heart, work in our hearts. Change us, Lord. Maybe you're struggling now with some area in your life. Just You've got to bring it to the altar and lay it down. You've got to say, yes, okay, I surrender. Maybe some of you here today, you've never surrendered to the cross, to the beginning point, where Jesus died on the cross for you, for your sin, and you need to come and and confess and ask him into your life to forgive you, to save your soul. And you can do that right now and say, simply open up your heart and say, Jesus, I, I come to you. I, I ask you to come into my life. Save me. Forgive me. Help me today. And Jesus hears that prayer. He hears that cry and he'll come in and he'll change you and He'll make you one of his very own. And he'll give you the strength to do what you need to do in this life, in this world. Until we go home. So, Father, we thank you again for this day, this day that we have. We don't know how much time we have, especially the older ones amongst us, that, that our time would count. It use our time wisely. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.